Well, welcome to you all, everyone that's here uh, in person, uh, those of you watching on live stream. Uh, glad you made this investment on a Sunday morning uh, to gather, uh, to worship, and uh, hopefully in this time uh, to learn from God's Word. For those of you that have been uh, tracking along with our series, uh, you know that we've been walking through a teaching series uh, we've called Talking with God. Uh, we're going through the Lord's Prayer, and uh, we're actually coming toward the end of this series. And I just got to say, first of all, um, for me personally, this has just been a great uh, series to be part of. I really appreciated that the first couple weeks, Chris Burroughs uh, kicked us off with a couple uh, great weeks of teaching. Uh, I think Bjorn even mentioned uh, his British accent just made him a delight to listen to. Uh, plus, what he had to say was worthwhile. Uh, then uh, Bjorn and I have been going back and forth, and I uh, really appreciate, uh, especially what, B what Bjorn had to say last week about forgiveness. Uh, we never outgrow our need for forgiveness. And so last week, it uh, was deeply meaningful for me uh, hearing what uh, God had to say through Bjorn. Uh, and it's not only been meaningful for me hearing what's been taught on Sunday, uh, but I've really benefited by leaning into the Lord's Prayer as a personal prayer practice uh, over the last uh, couple months here. Um, I kind of let the, the Lord's Prayer um, be what I've been praying in the morning. Uh, sometimes it's kind of quick, and I'm just literally praying through the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes I have a little bit more time, and I'm letting the Lord's Prayer, the phrases, kind of be the, the structure for, for what I'm praying about. I've had a couple opportunities with my wife just to pray through the, those uh, phrases together, and I've just found this to be a wonderfully uh, orienting prayer. Uh, as I think about my life, as I think about the events in the world, this has become the lens by which I'm praying. You know, I think Jesus knew what he was talking about. Uh, it's actually a helpful prayer. So I'd like to start us uh, this morning. I'm going to pray through the Lord's Prayer for us, then we're going to dive into the teaching for today. So join me in prayer. Our Father, uh, how thankful we are that we can come to you as our good Father. That, uh, Lord, you dwell on a throne at the center of the universe, uh, Lord, is our Dad. And so thank you for making a way for us to be connected to you through Jesus Christ. God, we pray that your name would be hallowed, that you would make your name, your nature, your character known in this world. You, you know that we rarely see you as you really are. And we come up with all kinds of ideas about who you are and how life works that are just wrong. So God, please uh, correct our wrong view of you. Uh, may your name be seen for what it truly is all over the earth. God, we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. Uh, Lord, this world is not going to be right unless you are in charge. And so, Lord, we want you to rule. Uh, first of all, Lord, in our lives, and God, in our families, in this church, uh, and in the world. God, we want your ways uh, to be the norm, that we would be living according to your instructions. So, Lord, uh, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, you are our provider. You've promised to give us what we need each day. Lord, it's so hard to believe that. And so, Lord, please correct our, our faithlessness. Help us to really look to you for each and every need. And God, you know the needs that are represented here this morning. Uh, needs for financial provision, for health, uh, relational needs. And God, uh, out of your riches, you provide all that is needed. So, Lord, please provide today. Lord, forgive us our sins even as we forgive those that sin against us. Lord, we need you to extend your mercy and your grace that you died to secure for us. So Lord, thank you uh, for how endless your mercy is. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, your anger lasts but for a moment, your favor for a lifetime. 
So Lord, please uh, pour out your mercy upon us and make us people of mercy that we will extend your mercy to others. And Lord, we pray this morning that you lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, today, uh, we're going to be leaning into the end of that prayer that I didn't expand upon uh, that much in the prayer. Uh, the phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, I have said this in the weeks past. Many of you may have grown up in church praying that prayer, and so the words have a ring of familiarity to them, to, to, uh, to, to you. Others of you may not have grown up in church, but I'm guessing even for you, there's still a ring of familiarity. This is a very common uh, prayer. Yet, though we're familiar with it, we don't often fully understand it. In particular, this phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Does God lead us into temptation? Uh, what are we asking for in this prayer? What does Jesus really want us to understand and to depend on him for by teaching us to pray this way? Well, in each of the uh, petitions in the Lord's Prayer, and we're in the sixth one now, in each of them, Jesus is instructing us to ask God to do what only he can do. So the first petition, hallowed be your name. Uh, the, the phrase is not, uh, Father, help us to hallow your name. Now that would be a fine prayer. Matter of fact, we should pray that prayer, but that's not the prayer that Jesus is telling us to pray there. He's saying, God, would you hallow your own name? The same with your kingdom come, your will be done. It would be a fine and a good prayer to say, God, help us uh, to bring your kingdom, to do your will, but that's not the prayer that Jesus is teaching us to pray. It's God, you bring your kingdom, you do your will on earth as it is in heaven. All throughout this prayer, we're asking God to do what we cannot in and of ourselves. And as we come to this last phrase, we start to see why we have to pray for God to do what only he can do. When we come to this request, we begin to realize that we are facing a problem that is greater than our ability to meet on our own. We're praying for deliverance, for rescue. You know, a, a person that's drowning doesn't call out for encouragement from a passing boat. You know, they call out for a, a rope or a life jacket for rescue. And at the end of this prayer, we realize that we are calling out for rescue from a strong God who can save, not just for a little help to get through life. We're calling out for deliverance. But the first question we have here this morning is, what are we asking God to deliver us from? What are we asking for rescue from? Um, Matthew 6, 13, this is uh, the phrase in the Lord's Prayer we're focused on this morning. In the English Standard Version, it reads, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the New International Version, we read, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And you may wonder, why the difference in the translations there? Well, the English Standard Version is a little more literal in its translation method, um, but it still doesn't quite pull out uh, the, the, all that's going on there in the Greek. And what's going on there is Jesus is saying, deliver us from the evil. The evil. He's being specific. So when the NIV renders it, they're just telling us what he really means here. The evil one. Jesus is being specific and personifying the evil 
we need to be delivered from. Uh, Daryl Johnson, in his book, uh, 57 Words That Changed the World, and we've drawn on this book a lot in this series. Um, it's a great, short little read. I highly recommend it. He says this about this phrase. He says, in the sixth petition, Jesus uses the definite article, the evil. He uses this same phrase in the rest of his Sermon on the Mount to refer to his enemy, the devil, the evil one. He is the one who has rebelled against God, the one who seeks to dishonor the name of the Father, the one who seeks to deprive the Father's children of daily bread, the one who seeks to divide the Father's children from him and from each other by causing them to cling to their hurts and their grievances. So this request isn't so much asking God to spare us from evil circumstances. This is not a prayer for God to spare us from the evils of war or disease or poverty. Those things are evil and we should ask God to deliver us from those things, but this isn't that prayer. Jesus here is instructing us to ask God himself to deliver us from the evil person himself, the person in the scriptures called the devil or Satan. Now at this per point here, some of you may start to, to be scratching your heads a little bit. Um, there's some taboo topics. Uh, I, I know that, I'm a preacher. In church, there's some taboo topics, topics to talk about. Often the devil's one of those. Maybe you start thinking about other religious groups that um, you know, get really weird when it comes to talking about the devil. And they think that behind every bad decision or every political candidate they don't agree with is this evil force, this person. Really, anything they don't like can be chalked up to the devil. And maybe because of that you think, mm, let's just stay a little bit more on the, the realm of the known and stick with what we can really see and focus on in the Christian life. A um, little movie trivia for you this morning here. Anybody remember this movie line or where it comes from? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Trevor. I, I knew you'd have it, Trevor. Well, well <laughs> as I was writing that this week, I thought, who will have his hand up first? Trevor. All right. Yeah, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. I think there's some truth to that. According to Jesus' prayer, the devil does exist. There is an evil one. Matter of fact, we can't fully understand what is going on in life apart from recognizing this reality. The evil in our world is so great, it is greater simply than human forces. And if we don't get this, we won't make sense of what's going on around us. It would almost be like, let's say you flew down to Florida and you decide you're taking a cruise. And just hang with me here. You step on your ship thinking you're getting on a cruise ship. But you find out a day in, you've set foot on a battleship, not a cruise ship. You begin to wonder, why are people treating me this way? Like, why am I getting shot at? What is going on here? You see, we don't understand that the Christian life is not a cruise ship. It's more of a battleship. And if we don't understand this reality, we're not going to make sense of life following Jesus. So Jesus, in this prayer, wants us to know the devil does exist and that he is opposed to all that we have just prayed about in the previous five petitions. He does not want God's name to be hallowed. He does not want God's kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. He does not want our daily bread to be provided for. He does not want us to experience forgiveness and give forgiveness. 
And so if we are going to experience all those realities, then we have got to pray that God would deliver us from the evil one. So here are the two questions for the rest of our time this morning. How does the evil one work, and how can we be delivered? How does the evil one work? What are his strategies? What are his schemes? And how can we be delivered? Let's dive into the first one. How does the evil one work? Uh, this prayer reveals the evil one's primary strategy. Let me, let me tell you what it is, then I'll explain it. Here's his strategy. Satan seeks to turn tests into temptations. This is what he's always doing. Satan seeks to turn tests in life into temptations. And this is so important to understand. See, um, there's a lot going on in this phrase here. Uh, the word that is translated, uh, lead us not into temptation. That's the Greek word perismos, all right? Greek word of the day. And that can be rendered either test or temptation. Same Greek word, test or temptation. But those are two very different things. Uh, listen to what Daryl Johnson, again in his book uh, 57, uh, Words That Change the World, uh, says about this. The word translated temptation is the Greek word perismos, which has two different meanings. One is test, the other is temptation. These are two very different things. A test is something meant to prove a person's character and in the process, improve it. A temptation is meant to entice a person to sin, to bring a person down in some way. A perismos is a difficult or challenging situation in life which can either be a test, proving and improving a person's character, or a temptation, enticing a person into the way of sin. Whether it is a test or a temptation depends on who is behind it and how we respond. So, perismos, the test, temptation. Same event, two things happening. Same event, God has good purposes for us. Same event, the evil one has bad purposes for us. Uh, let's kind of dig into this a little bit here. What is a perismos? What is a, a test temptation event? Well, really, it's almost anything in life where change is thrust upon us. It could be a financial decrease. You may lose your job. You may uh, come into a time where there's less income coming in, and that is a test temptation. It, it, it's a test because God is looking to strengthen you. He is looking to develop your faith so you, you will know that he provides and you are not your own provider. God has good in mind during that time of financial lack, yet it's also a temptation. The evil one would like you to say, you know what, God can't be trusted. I've got to make things work for myself in life. Uh, same event, test, temptation. Now the funny thing is, it also works with a financial increase. That's also a change. If a financial increase comes upon you, you could say, and God would want you to say, this is from God's good hand. Thank you, Lord. And how would you have me use this to bless others and to continue to honor you? That's responding well. That's a, it's, that's a test, and God is proving us through that. Or it could be a temptation where you could say, look what I have done. I must be a little bit smarter and a harder worker than those around me. I've earned this. And this happens all the time in our culture. Uh, 
studies show that those that make $25,000 or less tend to give 4% of their income to generous causes. Those that make $100,000 or less give less than 1% to generous causes. See, character is being formed because people, when they are in the moment of a parismos, of getting more money, tend to think, I've done this. And then luxuries become necessities and character gets formed. And so Jesus is saying here, in the parismos, in the test, in the temptation, we should be asking God, don't let us go towards the temptation. Lead us into the test whereby our character is formed and we become like you. Now, that's the other reality I want to pull out here about a parismos, about a test temptation event, is that we will not remain the same as we go through it. It's not possible. As human beings, we are always in a state of formation. We are being formed into a certain kind of person one way or the other. Every day, test, temptation events come our way. And character is formed in us depending on how we respond. The more we respond to the test, trusting God, no matter what happens, the more our character becomes like Christ. The more we yield to temptation, the more we are formed to trust ourselves and to distrust God. We're becoming one kind of person or another through the test, temptation events of life. And so we must pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one's purposes. So let's continue to dig in. I don't think, if we, unless we understand how good God's purposes are for the test, uh, we still find ourselves uh, doubting a little bit. Um, you know, when I was uh, in, in elementary school, I used to go camping every summer. And uh, we had good friends, uh, another family friends that we camped with. And my, my good friend and I would often go out into the woods and find these paths. And we would love to dig a hole right in the middle of the path and then cover it over with sticks and pine cones, hoping our sister would walk by. Because we would hide behind the tree and just wait for it to happen. And all oh, it was such a delight to see them fall in the hole. You can think ill of me now. Um, I think that is what we subtly are suspecting God is doing in life. He's preparing these tripping up events for us. And so we don't want to be led into the temptation or the test. God, just leave me alone. But actually, God wants to lead us into the test because he has such good intended for us. So we must know God's good intentions. So understanding testing versus tempting. In each testing, in each time of testing, first, God is revealing our identity. In each test, God wants to reveal what is truest about us. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then what is truest about you is something wonderful. You have been made to be a son or a daughter in Christ. Not because you've earned it, not because you've lived such a perfect life, but because God has made that to be so. You've been adopted into his family. He has declared this about you. You are a son or a daughter. Now Romans 8, verses 18 through 19 says this, that I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That right now, there's a hiddenness to our standing in Christ. Oh, oh there should be 
things being made visible about us. There should be a distinction about Christians. But still, as we go through most of life, there often is a hiddenness about what is truest in us. But one day when Christ returns, everything is going to be revealed for as it really is. The children of God, seen for who they really are. And what's happening in the midst of a test temptation event, there's a mini revealing taking place. When we choose to trust God in the midst of a test, our identity is coming out. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter four, it's not up here, um, but you might be familiar with that, that, uh, that chapter. Paul is talking about Christians being like clay jars, fragile clay vessels, that the light of Christ has been put within. And during times of testing, you know, these, there's these cracks in the jar, the light is being revealed, the light is coming out. See, God is revealing what is truest about us in these test temptation events. It's like God is a proud parent on the bleachers watching his kids play sports. Uh, that's been me for a lot of my life. I watched a lot of kids sports, sporting events. I love to root for my kids. You know, I'm watching the whole game, but I'm usually following every move my kid makes out there, waiting for there to be something revealed about them that shows everyone who they really are, or at least who I think they really are. That's God looking at us in the midst of a test. He wants it to be revealed, the things that are good and truest in us that he has put there. So in each testing, God is first revealing our identity. Secondly, in each time of testing, God is refining our character. Because not everything in us is good and true. Not everything in us is as it should be. God knows that. And he wants to work on us, to develop our character, to be like his. Romans chapter five, verses three through four. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. By the way, trial there, perismos. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. I mean, this is one of those otherworldly kind of verses. I mean, when we face difficulties, my reaction is not immediately to rejoice. But he says we can and we should. Because in that event, God is looking to strengthen our character. And you know what lasts forever? Not our money, not our belongings, our character. The, the person we are becoming is eternal. And we have this opportunity now for our eternal character to be formed. There's nothing more valuable than that. So we can rejoice that in the midst of testing, God is refining our characters. So God is revealing our identity in testing. God is refining our character in testing. We should want God to bring us into the test. But thirdly, if we're to understand testing versus temptation, in each time of testing, Satan is also tempting. He's tempting us to doubt God's goodness, our identity in Christ, and the intentions of others. In the very same event, Satan is tempting us, wanting us to doubt God's goodness, our identity in Christ, and the intentions of others. And here's how he primarily does this. Uh, one of the names for the evil one is Satan. And what his name means, what that word means, is literally accuser, or the accuser. And this is what the evil one does. He accuses. An accusation is a claim or a charge that someone has done something wrong. 
And in the, in the midst of each parismos, Satan is accusing, claiming that God has done something wrong, or we have done something wrong, or others have done something wrong. I mean, just think about Satan in the uh, Garden of Eden. God had placed a parismos in the garden. There was a tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and God said, don't eat of it. It was a test. It was a test because he wanted good for Adam and Eve. But Satan said, that test is not because God wants your good. God is holding out on you. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? If you do eat of it, you'll become like him. God's holding back. He's holding out. God is not good. That's Satan's accusation to Adam and Eve. Look at that tree. That must mean that God is not as good as you think he is. We experience those accusations too, uh, tempting us to doubt God's goodness. Who hasn't gone through a time of hurt or lack or disappointment and just intrinsically wondered, why? Why are you allowing this to happen, God? I don't think it's wrong to ask the question, but it's wrong when it begins to make our heart bitter and resist and pull away from God. And that's Satan's endgame. You see, when we begin to doubt God's goodness, we lose faith. We lose faith. So Satan is accusing God to us in the midst of these test temptation events. But it's not just that. He's not only accusing God to us in the midst of these events. He's also accusing us to ourselves. Um, I got a little secret for you. The self-talk you hear in your head all the time, you're not alone with that. In the midst of these test temptation events, we often are hearing messages about our inadequacy, our guilt, our shame. Even Jesus heard this. Jesus, when he was led into the wilderness to be tempted, the evil one came to him and said, if you are the Son of God. He calls into question Jesus' identity. If you are the Son of God. And that same kind of thought is happening with us. If you were a better Christian, God would have handled life differently for you. Or maybe it's, I don't think you really even are a Christian. And we have these thoughts in our head where it is the evil one accusing us to ourselves. And what happens here is it erodes hope. Uh, see, we need hope believing who God has made us to be and who we will fully be one day. But when we believe these messages, we lose hope. We become discouraged. The psalmist says, why so downcast, O oh my soul? And we have to talk to ourselves. Why, why do you believe these messages when God says something different? So during a time of test temptation, Satan accuses us to ourselves. And then lastly, during times of testing temptation, Satan accuses others to us. He says, look at them. Either they're to blame, or they're not as good as you, or they don't love you. I mean, this is going on all the time in our marriages, in our churches, in our surrounding society. The last, the last thing the evil one wants is true unity. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Paul writes, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You know, it's striking to me that in the middle of that verse, he says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Why does he need to say that? Because that's exactly what we get sucked into thinking we are doing. That usually in life, our primary enemies in our view are flesh and blood. Uh, maybe it's the person we are living with. Maybe it's the person of the other political party. But we tend to think our main enemies are flesh and blood. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Behind all of that, there's another greater enemy. It's like the older brother who reaches over and pinches his sister and then points to his friend, right? Now that, that's exactly what Satan wants us to do is to become at odds with one another, pointing blame back and forth, back and forth. I think this has been exactly the kind of thing that has happened over the past couple years within a lot of churches in our country. There has been a lack of love and charity and understanding and ability to bear with one another but we tend to hear these messages. You know, look at that person and who they voted for. Uh, look at this person, how they're responding to this crisis. And instantly, there's a polarization that is not from heaven. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. So the question is how? How can we be delivered from the evil one in the time of testing temptation? I have three things for us here. First, trust what God says is true, not what we feel is true in the midst of the test temptation. Trust what God says is true. When you read through the account in the Gospels about Jesus in the wilderness, when he was tested, tempted, to every um, temptation the evil one threw at him, he responded first by saying, it is written, it is written. And then he says what the scriptures say, it is written. You know, this is why uh, in our churches, especially in evangelical churches, we so value the scriptures. Um, the scriptures form our thoughts so that when we come into the time of testing, we're not left to ourselves to understand for ourselves life. We draw on what we know to be true from God's word. Now, it's not that in the moment God's word is going to feel as true as the circumstances might feel. I had a mentor once tell me this, and I've always clung to it, that our feelings are real, though they're not always right. Our feelings are real. We're gonna experience a deep emotion in a time of testing temptation. And if we are simply at the mercy of our feelings, we will not, we will not choose the test. We will give in to the temptation. But when we are allowing our minds to be saturated and what God says is true, we have a resource to draw from in the test, in the temptation. No matter how strong I feel about this, if God's word declares this to be true, if God is my provider, then even though I feel like he's not providing in the moment, I will trust that. If God says you know, that he will heal, I will trust. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I will trust that. If God says that he forgives all my sin in Christ Jesus, then I will trust that. 
and we lean into what God's word says in the test temptation. What is true in the light is still true in the dark. We need to let God's word show us what is true in the light so that we can trust God in the dark. First, trust what God says is true, not what we feel is true. Secondly, trust what Jesus has done in our place. In the midst of a test temptation event, we have to consciously call to mind uh, the story of Jesus, and particularly his death and resurrection. But even before calling to mind his death, we need to understand that he not only died for us, he lived for us. Listen to what Hebrews 4, 15-16 says. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. I love that. Jesus understands what we're going through in the test temptation event. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. See, what's happening here is the author is focusing uh, our sight on Jesus in the midst of a test temptation event. And he's first letting us know we don't have uh, a powerless one that we're looking at. Jesus went through everything that we've gone through, yet he never went the way of temptation. If it's a fork in the road, every time he went the way of God, he said, test, I'll choose test, I'll choose test, never giving into temptation. Now, um, in our stream of Christianity, uh, evangelical Christianity, we usually rightfully so major on how Jesus died in our place, taking our sins upon himself, and he has done that. But he's done more than that. He lived in our place. That every time he was passing the test, he was leaning into the test, not giving into temptation, he was doing that for us. See, we now have a representative in heaven. That's what the scriptures tell us. He's our high priest. Jesus is in heaven. He is representing all who trust in him. Uh, this past week, we've been seeing the events unfold in Ukraine, and there's been a series of talks. Representatives from Ukraine and representatives from Russia meeting to talk, to deliberate the situation. And what they decide at that table is going to determine what's happening for the people that they represent. You don't want a representative who's powerless. You don't want a representative who's corrupt. You want someone you can trust. And Jesus represents us in heaven. So when God is looking at us, he is not looking at our performance in the test temptation. He's looking at Christ's performance, what Christ did in the test temptation. We essentially are getting Jesus' resume. That when Jesus stands before the Father in heaven, he lived for us. We need to remember that in the middle of our test temptations. Jesus is looking to give me his success in the test. But it's even better than that, because he not only has given us his success, he's taken our failures. The verse says that we can come boldly to the throne of God to receive mercy and grace. Mercy is when we get, or when we don't get, what we do deserve. When we walk into the test temptation and fail, and give in, and yield to temptation, that's a failure. Now, I'm an older brother, so I know how this works. Usually, older brothers, when they pass a test, like to lord it over their siblings under them. Not this big brother. Hebrews says that Jesus is our elder brother 
who is in heaven. And he passed every test and yet does not look down at us and say, what's wrong with you? Why can't you get it together? He says, no, no, come boldly. Receive from me mercy and grace that he has already paid for all our failures in the test temptation events. So during the time of testing and tempting, we need to trust what Christ has done in our place. He's lived for us and he's died for us. And as we look to him, we gain confidence to trust him in the midst of the test. Lastly, what what, what must we do to be delivered from the evil one in the time of the test, temptation? Third, trust that God will deliver us from the evil one when we ask. Jesus doesn't give us this prayer as uh, an empty wish. He's saying, I really intend to do this. I really intend that when you call on me, I will lead you not into temptation, but into the test. I will deliver you from the evil one. The question is, are we asking? If you're like me, I'm much more prone to ask, God, get me out of the test. And God wants to say, us to say, lead us not into temptation. I'm willing to walk with you in the test. Form my character. Deliver me from the evil one. I love the lines from the hymn that says, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. God has peace for us. He has deliverance for us as we call out to him in this prayer. He can be trusted. His word is true. He has lived in our place. He has died in our place. And when we call on him, he will lead us through the test and deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. Oh, Father, uh, we cannot stand up under very much pressure. We are not wise enough to recognize and then counter the work of the evil one. When you lead us to the test, when life itself brings us to the test, as you seek to prove and to improve our faith in the midst of the test, do not let the test become a temptation, a seduction to sin. Don't let us be fooled by the evil one's accusations of your goodness, of our standing in Christ, and of the love of our brothers and sisters. Father, deliver us from the subtle strategies of the evil one. Father, help us to trust you. Amen.